Welcome back to SoulNet, friends. We are happy to be here, and this is our third and final interview series. Today, we have Eilina Faircrest, and we are going to be talking to Eilina about just the changes that she's had in her life, what's led her down her career path, and just how many hats that she's worn in her 50 years of her life so far. Uh, It's so inspirational to know that we are never too old to try new things. So let's get started. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. Uh, The many hats of Eilina. We love each and every hat that you wear. Now, the one that I'm really curious about is one of your earlier days. You were actually a doula as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and some of your experiences there? Yes. Yes, I did when my kids were little. Well, I was all about births and babies and prenatal education and a big movement in, well, actually in the States in the early 2000s was uh, mother's clubs. I noticed it wasn't as predominant in Canada, but mother's clubs were like a a social uh, support for mothers of young children. And um, I was quite involved in that as well. At that time frame, when my kids were little, I was all about the first years last forever, kind of like infant and toddler and family development. Now, what I really appreciate of that time frame in my life is that it's like a foundational setting for the rest of life. This is the ironic part, because I work with people with trauma, is that so much imprinting happens that is not accessible through memory, because we don't remember much of what happened as adults we don't remember too much of what happens Mm. before five and certainly not much of what happens before three most of us can't so what I notice helps is I work with clients in the realm of imagination because imagination is the first few steps towards intuition Mm because they're like I don't know I don't know and I'm not intuitive I don't know there's a lot of I don't know so there's it's an inviting them into like felt senses of stuff like, so, okay, well, let's imagine, visualize you in your time frame of toddlerhood or visualize yourself in utero, you know, like what, imagine the sounds in the of your family at that time. So they're like accessing something that's um, deeper than the surface level stuff. They're imagining mm-hmm. their parents when they were in utero, like what was the dynamic, what was the family dynamic? And so that whole stage of life of like birth, right after birth, conception, you know, um, in utero really fascinated me at that time. Can I just share too, that I was with a group of kindergarten kids who are like six years old this week Uh and along the lines of what you're doing in your work, it just reminds me because I was so deeply touched by a couple of these little kids and their, their offerings. We talked about courage Mm. and when they've had to be courageous and one of them put up her hand and she said, I had to be courageous when I took my first step. Wow. And then that led to another little girl saying, I had to be courageous when I shared my first word. Oh, wow. And I, I had to stop because I realized in that moment that as an adult, like we forget 
how courage is just in us. And another little boy said, I have to be courageous when I'm creative. Wow. I was like, that was the greatest gift because what that shows us to your point is that when we are young and unfiltered, like we, we haven't really kind of been hurt by the world. We haven't been humiliated. We haven't been embarrassed. We haven't been told that we're not good enough. We are in that place. We remember what courage is. Yeah. So you're in your line of work. I'd love to hear more about how you, maybe even your own experience in life, being, you know, raised by a tiger mama, being performative, Mm -hmm. like how this informs what you offer your clients now. Yeah. Because it sounds like you're doing really great work. Well, you know, you just spoke perfectly to the hero's journey of coming back home to our kind of like original soul. And that in our lifetime, our soul takes on these kind of quests that are painful and filled with trials and tribulations and adversity. And each kind of adversity and cycle of challenge and trial and tribulation that we go through, the soul does get stained. Um, and I wouldn't say permanently, but it it gets like like a car that's been in a few accidents, a dent here. <laughs> like my soul has many dents. <laughs> and, it, and, if, and I'm not sure if they can pop back out. I mean, I'm, you know, we do the practices to try and help those dents pop back out. But what I notice is that there's a few like peak moments in life of um, like our own development pushes the soul to like, do more growth, well, toddlerhood, because toddlerhood is like your neurology is just exploding with the world realizing there's a world around you and and individuating from the parent just a little bit in toddlerhood. And then adolescence, which is the bigger individuation. And then young adulthood where you're you actually are individuated from the family and you're like now facing the barrage of like, holy shit, I'm responsible for myself. And then midlife, the midlife quote-unquote crisis, I really feel is more of an awakening where we finally have the faculties and the resources to question our conditioning and complete, in a way, the soul's journey of expansion and growth. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Exactly. Because it's not everyone's, (laughs) it's not everyone's bailiwick. (laughs) Many of us are here now to be cycle breakers and kind of like burst through and try to find our our genuine soul language and express that for the remainder of our lives and help generations, you know, our younger generations, including children, if we have them, do that. I've noticed there's there's no other stage in my life, even though I left home at 16 and did all kinds of stuff that was kind of mavericky. I've noticed that's my life has been very like, I just kind of take the risks that many don't. And it's just been the theme of my life is that the mid midlife has been a stage that re- has required tons of courage for reinventing after my divorce reinventing myself starting from the ground zero financially where i observed a lot of my friends were already set i was starting from ground zero you know this is talk about imposter syndrome which we'll get to later and <laughs> and just really questioning my capacity my identity and reinventing and requiring courage where I often felt I didn't have enough courage. 
I love that point that you make because courage, it's almost like we forget how courageous we've had to be. Yeah. And then, and then we become adults and we think we know everything and we forget that we have to be courageous to make new friends. We have to be courageous to try something new or to take risks. Yeah. Let like, go of something like letting go is just as important as what we bring into our lives. Often it's the, the things that we hang on to and cling to that are doing us the most detriment or keeping us yeah. where we are. Right. So it's what we bring in, but equally so what we can let go of. And that's really hard. I think that's why we see this time of life. So many relationships breaking yeah. down too, yeah. right? It's like, what are you choosing? Is that still working for you? Well, maybe not. Midlife wakes us up to the unconscious patterns that are no longer working. You totally Big do. Time. Yeah. yeah. Hence yeah. why so much breaks down. Well, and I feel like we do, either we go into it or we go into yes. avoidance, which is where we see like the fancy cars and like the, the new updated girlfriends yeah. or boyfriends or like that kind of stuff. Or we go into ourselves. <laughs> yes. Ooh, updated boyfriends. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think I'm really curious about the career choice, like the path, the career path that you've taken, Eilina, you know, like I think of you when we were like 15, 16. And now, of course, as an adult, we know more about your life at that time that you were very, there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure to be perfect, to perform. Um, we also knew you like as, you know, very high achieving, but also very <laughs> joyful. I just want to say that, like we did feel your joy and your kindness. <laughs> Thank you. I just am fascinated. And I feel like maybe some of our listeners too, that, that also were raised to be more performative and, mm. you know, high achieving. How do you, like, how did that guide you and lead you into your path of becoming a yoga instructor, a teacher, a coach? Great question. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the yoga journey, it actually came from when I had kids, I felt like really stiff and my body was just tight and in pain. And I remembered when I was a kid that I did yoga. I was exposed to yoga in grade one. Um, my school had a teach. my grade, was it my grade one teacher? I think she was my grade one teacher. I believe I have her to thank. Uh, she was a hippie. Yeah, she was, a she was awesome, loved her. And she taught us kids yoga. And I remember even the book, it was um, like with drawings that were really child friendly. So we could look at them because we couldn't read very well in grade one and kind of follow the, the drawings. And she would put on the Beatles, here comes the sun, doo, 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 doo. And we would do oh, sun salutations, sun it. salutations to, the, to that song. And it just felt so organic and natural. So good. I really enjoyed it. And I was really good at yoga because I was also in gymnastics because I was the child of a prodigy child of a tiger mom. So I was doing Chinese dance, yeah, totally. tap, ballet, jazz, toe, yoga and gymnastics. Yeah. So how, how many fingers do I have? I was pretty much wow. doing everything as a kid. Wow. My, my cousins used to say like, wow, it's crazy how much stuff you're doing. And I didn't even know I was I had an option. That's the thing. That was my conditioning. It was just expected of me, right? I didn't, I never realized I had the ability to question until I became a teenager and then the shit hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, 
No, I feel like that's a really common thing in for a lot of my friends of, um, you know, traditional kind of Chinese families, especially like the kids are in every activity from math camp. I remember have, I have a good friend I played volleyball with and I'd be like, so when does Alex get to play with his friends? Because he's got everything else booked in his summer holiday. It and it's to. like, he's like, that's not how it rolls. <laughs> <house."> exactly. <laughs> There's no playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. It's a. Everything with a purpose is what I'm hearing, right? Like everything yeah. was, you were supposed to have this skill set that would enable you to be out in the world yeah. as whoever your mother wanted yes. you to be, maybe? And, <laughs> and to my mom's credit, it's a classic case of having your child experience everything you didn't get to, right? I'm a classic case of that. My mom, being a, a girl didn't get the education that her brothers did. This is the traditional kind of patriarchal hierarchy in the traditional Chinese family. So my mom really wanted to learn dance and um, the arts growing up and she didn't have access to it. So she put it on me, but in the kind of traditional Chinese way of expectations. Yeah. And, and I see her good intentions. It's ancestral trauma of you know, having your kids make up for your own voids and the way of doing it. It's the behaviors of the way of doing it, right? It creates more trauma if there's force, if there isn't that, what would I call it? A natural balance of allowing your child to have curiosity, but you also guiding them, right? It sounds like your mom was actually trying to be a bit of a psycho She was. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah. She yeah. really was. She was trying to, you know, she shared with me stories where she had tried to go to dance and and uh, she was curious about it, but knows she had to work instead. And the money that she made went towards a family and, you know, just a immigrant, immigrant family, just trying to make it and survive. And all the kids, when the money they make goes to the parents and, you know, it, it, it all goes towards the family, but there's yeah. a lot of servitude there. And, you know, in, in a way, this is often the conundrum of immigrant families is that the parents grow up in another culture. And then they immigrate somewhere and, and the kids grow up in the new culture that questions the old country, you know, and this is often the battle and the clash of immigrant families. The parents actually hold on to the old school values even stronger because when they came to the new place, there's their experiences like, oh, we got to fit in or don't do this wrong or don't do that wrong. So they hold on to the old values even stronger, whereas those that remained back home they get to evolve in society. And so that's what's missing often for immigrant cultures is they become more conservative because they they have to fit in and to, to try and make life work. That's what certainly happened in my family. I was the first mixed race kid in my family. And I think just the very act of my being, of my existence, <laughs> questioned the whole, you know, the way everything was done and seen. Yeah. So I was wow. often, yeah, I was often the the odd one, so to speak. I'm thinking about Dana's comment about your mom being a cycle breaker in her own right. And then like, yes, she, there again, she married a yep. white man a from Guaylo, Canada. Which, which means white ghost. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, she was like a rebel. Mm -hmm. This is yep. where you get your rebellious, mm -hmm. maybe. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, but my mom would never own her rebel. <laughs> uh, no. Interesting. But you're right. You're absolutely right. Beautiful. Yep. I love that connection. Okay. So going back to yoga, I love this grade one teacher. Like mm -hmm. I just want to say a shout out to the grade one <laughs> yeah, teachers that so have great. so much on their plate. So you get the, you're good at yoga. 
<laughs> I have oh, my kids. One. Yeah. Then I have my kids and I'm like, oh, I need that again. A friend of mine owned a yoga studio and I happened to be, oh, I, right. I did massage therapy at the time. <laughs> I provided another hat. <laughs> I forgot about that. Can we just have a lineup of hats that Eileen just keeps I putting forgot on? About that. I think we've I think we've now covered all of them. <laughs> oh gosh, you are amazing. You're like the modern day Mad Hatter. Like you've got like <laughs> got all the hats. So I did provided massage therapy at the time and ninety percent of my clients were well, I should say eighty percent of my clients were pregnant women. So I was teaching prenatal education as well. And a friend of mine who owned a yoga studio who was offering prenatal yoga, she's like, can you teach the prenatal education component in my prenatal yoga classes? It would just enhance the whole experience. I was like, sure. So I brought that into her classes. It it went really well. And she's like, why don't you just teach the yoga as well? I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> Love it. So it organically evolved from that prenatal yoga. And then I was like, well, I might as well get certified for this. It brought back all the memories of the, you know, yoga I did in elementary school at Garibaldi Elementary in East Vancouver, because I'm an East Van kid. (laughs) (laughs) At least I was growing up. And then this East Van kid went to West Van. It was like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Cultural shock. (laughs) And the only reason I went there, (laughs) bingo. And and why did I go? The baccalaureate program, right? The international IV program, which mm. my tiger mom put me into. I remember crying. Because she was yes. also smart. Yeah. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're smart <laughs> I remember crying. I remember crying when my mom was like, okay, you're going to West Van for the IV program. I'm like, but all my friends are going here. Doesn't matter. You're going there. And I was like, oh. I ended up taking a yoga teacher training program and then just kind of evolved from there and then ended up uh, after years of teaching, bought into a yoga studio with a friend of mine. So we, we taught yoga teacher trainings. And what I noticed is when I was teaching yoga teacher trainings, the journey of training people to become yoga teachers uh, brought up my natural predisposition to the world of psychology and helping people get to understand themselves better. I mean, what was my favorite subject in high school? Psychology. I loved it. Remember, you guys might remember our our psych teacher's name. Beautiful Asian lady who did her face beautifully with makeup. Like she she looked perfectly coiffed every time she arrived mm. in class. <laughs> I'll remember that. But um, she brought in a guest speaker once. He stayed with us, I think, for two days or two classes and talked about the impact of his childhood from abuse and sexual abuse. And it was the first time I heard somebody, I think I was maybe 15 at the time, it was the first time I heard somebody speak so candidly about domestic, well, violence, basically, in the home. Well, just, and to be clear, like, we're talking about, like, 30-some years ago, right? Like, that they're talking openly about this. If we think about it in context, this stuff was like, don't ask, don't tell, right? It wasn't being, especially in a school. Yeah, it was huge. Because it was kind of like a hush culture. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of his two-day presentation, he handed out phone numbers to all the kids. He said, if you have any problems, you just call this number. And I remember the next week, my mom and I got into this big argument. And I was like, I was at my wits end and I called the number. I talked to him. I was like, these are the problems I'm going. And yeah. 
It was no actually his way. his number. Oh yeah. And and I remember just Can we look him up? I know, I right? I know. And it wow. it's like it's like these adults that provide lifelines. Like that was probably the first time I'd ever really felt seen and heard for what I was going through that I couldn't share, you know, not even in my own family, not with anybody. And it just felt safe to reach out. And I did. And he's like, the magic that he provided was an empathic ear. Like he could just hear my sorrow. He could hear, like, he wasn't really, well, what could you do? You know, like not much he could do, but he, he really listened. And, and I could just kind of pour my sorrow of like feeling like I was completely helpless and powerless. And that's kind of when I decided to leave home. Being able to have someone listen compassionately to the pain I was experiencing uh, helped me kind of like pull something together in myself. The courage, the courage, courage. the courage. I the was thinking courage. the same thing. That was your. It was courage my courage moment. moment. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So I'm kind of putting these pieces together of like why I'm in psychology now, and like it was absolutely a soul journey for yeah. me to be, to become a therapist. So then when you were offering t- yoga teacher training, can you just go back to what that, what that brought up in you with, with yes, th- that reminded yeah. you of this like love of psychology? Yes. Well, when in our, in my yoga teacher trainings, what I noticed is people were going through a process in the training and I, I would sometimes lead trainings that were stretched out over half a year or sometimes lead a training that was intensive over like a, a summer. And the summer intensive ones, because we saw each other a lot more frequently, it was like they signed up for a quest because they come in, you know, as a certain way. And then they go through this process of like unraveling their identity. And because yoga teacher training also covers the history of yoga and the philosophy of yoga. So you're taking on all this like ancient Vedic philosophy that that is about the soul journey and about this the the journey of the soul evolving in this lifetime and how do we evolve through challenges. And so it brings up everyone's unprocessed stuff in their life and they're like, "Oh, this is not just yoga teacher training. This is a soul training. Oh. <laughs> and that is what turned into me taking more personal development training for coaching. And the, then the coaching led to the trauma-informed therapy. Yeah. So it's been so like one thing presents the next thing and that is needed for me to meet the needs of the people that are in my kind of sphere and then the needs of those people directs the next thing that I need to learn to meet the needs as it expands. So would you say there's also an aspect of your own growth that's allowed you to do this deeper and more? Because your work started, you know, we won't say yoga's surface, but it's it's simple. And then going deeper, deeper into the tissues and the trauma yeah. work is a whole nother level. And it feels like that requires you to be continuing to go into those deeper levels of yourself. Yes. Hundred percent, and I would say the probably the biggest thing that informed uh, the trauma informed coaching that I provide is the trauma experience during my divorce, and that was it was like a complete breaking open of my old identity because remember I'd been trained with servitude, <laughs> that conditioning, right? Yeah. So that cracked open my identity at the time and. 
it was a big like who am I moment it wasn't really a moment it was a process <laughs> and uh and again to unlearn old patterning and conditioning we have to plant new programming and patterns because otherwise the old patterning just stays there we can't actually get rid of anything without planting in the new otherwise the old just keeps surfacing because then the brain works by default right so it, it required me to challenge so much and I had many moments of like maybe identity confusion <laughs> like who who am I as I let go of all this old stuff like you know is, is this working I had many mm -hmm. moments of is this working you know am I am I pushing you know the box too far or the boundaries too far but I seem to have found you know the, the career choice in all of this <laughs> different hats as you as you guys have described it seems to have really landed at a place where it works I'm so inspired such an inspiring journey and guess what you're only 50 <laughs> oh, so that means there's more just hats. getting started <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually pretty good with the hats I have now. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Sounds like the hats that are meant to be worn next will show up along the path too, if we just kind of trust that based on yeah, what you've very shared. True. That's a good point. Yeah. Because the future is unknown. Good point, Dana. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. I welcome whatever yeah. hats come in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to go into our rapid fire with Eilina. A little soul to soul. I'm going to kick it off with. I think because this is just like so rebellious. <laughs> Lacy or racy? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so right now at this stage of life at 50, it's all about comfort. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> and uh, I'll look at my lacy and racy stuff. I'll be like, wow, that's really cool, but I won't put it on. Which book of yours is dog-eared and highlighted the most? Ooh, right now it's No Bad Parts by Dick Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz. Yeah. Basically that there are no bad parts in our system. They're just born out of necessity at the time. And they just need the, the loving presence of our current functional adult inner parent. Mm. Okay. So what song best describes you oh gosh it takes me a moment to feel into this one can't touch this can't touch this i just kind of my we are children of the 90s the other question we have for you is like I feel like this is, we, you know, as a yoga teacher, maybe it's, this is how you decompress, but hmm. maybe there's another way that you decompress. Like what's your favorite way to decompress? Mm. Right now it's sitting um, on the patio and looking at the trees and watching the wind move through the leaves. And I notice I connect to the sky mm. a lot. I'm Vata in Ayurvedic medicine, medicine so I'm very like air, sky. Unfortunately, my yoga practice connects me to the earth. But yeah, I love watching the wind move the trees and then my gaze goes up to the horizon and the sky. And that's where I feel like the lifting of energy because otherwise with the work I do, there's a lot of compression and heaviness, a lot of energetic heaviness with, with other people's traumas. And, and I notice 
going to the horizon, the sky helps to lift all that and recycle the energy. Mm. Lovely. Uh, messages to your younger self, anything you'd like mm. to tell that younger side of you? Oh, yes. Wow. Yes, I would tell her that there is a future relationship in her life where she really finds that beautiful soulmate and secure attachment style that is so rewarding that she's been looking forward to her whole life. And that in this relationship, you'll finally have the freedom to be yourself and you'll have freedom to to feel whole as yourself. So it'd be it would be like hang in there, kiddo, because it's gonna be a really freaking bumpy ride on the way there. <laughs> You're gonna it will be bumpy, um, but you'll make it. You'll you'll face the biggest challenges where you feel that you might not make it, but you will make it. I would encourage oh. myself. Yeah, you'll make it through. Oh. Ride through those bumps. Yeah. I do have one final yeah. question. I'd love for you to share with our listeners. Um, what called you to connect with Megan and I? You know, it's funny. I had this vision for a few years and it was kind of like more like a mind's eye vision. It wasn't like, oh, I want to do this. It was more to just show up in my creativity of like, wouldn't it be cool if you reconnected with some high school people to just share about your journey since? And it just was always there. And it came from this place of like, it would be an opportunity for us to reflect on ourselves uh, of who we were when we were younger and what we were all going through and to normalize the challenges we were going through at the time, to normalize them. And for me, a theme in my life has often been like a coming together. I have this this tendency to, to bring things or people together and it's it's my way of like providing healing. So I think it was younger me wanting to heal through interpersonal relationship with with others that from that time frame. And so you guys hold a special place in my heart of accessing like the unscathed parts of our soul from our childhood that are like genuinely playful and fun and loving and addressing also the younger parts that experience the pain and need kind of our, our help, <laughs> you know? And that's really what had, had me call and reconnect with you guys and just like kind of uh, invite that let's get together and just share. Well, we're, we're so grateful you did because you were the starting point of bringing us all together. And, thank you. Um, over a few visits, um, here we are. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow. What a special call that was. Who would have thought that we'd be here now with this? This is so cool. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to end it with the, you'll make it. We're going to make it, baby. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. It's like Mary Tyler Moore. Our <laughs> theme song was something along those lines. You're going to make oh, it after yeah, all. Yeah, you're right. Like, I can see her and she throws her yes. hat up in the air. Oh, that's oh a great gosh. analogy. Yeah, and we'll throw our it. multiple hats. Yes. <laughs> multiple hats. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. You're going to make it after all, Soulnet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. That's it. That's a wrap. Uh, that's a wrap. 
And that is the last of our SoulNet sister interviews. We hope that you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about all three of us. Next time on the pod, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. It's a collective thing that I think we all experience at one point in our lives. So tune in next time as we share some stories about our experiences in dealing with these feelings of not quite measuring up. Bye for now. Thanks for listening into SoulNet, everybody. If you liked what you heard here today on the podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you have topics you'd like us to cover here on the net, email us at soulnetsisters at gmail.com.